We're back, episode six of the In The Know Property Podcast. I'm back with my uh, co-host, Frank Reedy, who's the head of investment at Henderson Advocacy. Mate, uh, we're back in person, the first one in person in a very long time. It's good to be back, new, uh, new surrounds. Yeah, I've got my, uh, my hat on today, which is, uh, which is good. Um, mate, probably one of the most critical parts of, of our asset selection philosophy and, and obviously what we look for uh, in a property is, is owner-occupier appeal. Like that's the topic of discussion today. Sure. Um, and mate, when we say owner-occupier appeal, there, there, there's really no set definition of what that means. Again, you know, we've spoken about it on past episodes that um, in every single area that you buy, whether it's in New South Wales, Queensland, Melbourne, you know, wherever, uh, not Melbourne, Victoria, sorry, um, it's all different. It's, it all comes down to the, the demographic in that area, what that demographic actually live in, um, what the owner-occupied owner demographic of, of that area live in. Um, and that then comes down to, you know, what you're looking for in a property. Um, and, and Frank, you know, the reason we target owner-occupiers is because owner-occupiers buy with emotion. They don't buy with their heads like investors. Obviously, you know, we were just reading the Australian Financial Review just then and, you know, bang on the, on the front <laughs> cover that the property market could drop up to 20%. With the interest, interest rate highs, right? Now, investors straight away see things like that and they usually retreat because investors are buying with their head, they're buying based on numbers, um, where owner-occupiers, they buy regardless of market conditions. Sure, there may be more owner-occupiers in the marketplace in good times like this than there are uh, in bad times, but there's always a compelling reason for an owner-occupier to buy a property, whether that's school catchment, whether that's moving for a job, whether that is upsizing, downsizing, whatever it is, they have a reason to buy where investors can choose when to buy and when sure. not to buy. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about owner-occupied demographic and, and what owner-occupiers look like, like help, I guess help the listeners understand um, some of the main things we look for in, in a property, whether it be a house or a partner or a townhouse, whatever it is. You know, some yeah. of the, the big, big fun Well, I think one of the main ones as to why we look for owner-occupier appeal is that because circa 80% of the market of properties being transacted are by owner-occupiers. Um, and that might be surprising for some people, you know, you always hear that, oh, it's in the investors who are driving up the, the market. And, and that's just simply not true. 80%, as I said, give or take, uh, are being transacted by owner-occupiers. You know, so therefore, you know, that leaves the 20% balance that are being uh, transacted by, by investors. So when we are investing as investors then, being the minority, I suppose, when we are looking for a property, whether it be a house or a unit or a townhouse, semi, etc. Um, we are looking for something that's going to appeal to the masses, and they, the masses being 80% are own occupiers. That's right. So, you know, when we're looking for houses, we're looking for something that, that differentiates, you know, and then when you, you know, we could have a list of, of criteria, which we, we obviously do, you know, things that do, you know, as we say, tick the boxes. Um, when you try and get 20 out of 20 boxes ticked, you soon realize that there are not many that tick all those boxes. And, you know, it's, comes to saying there's no such thing as the perfect property and what is the perfect property that, that is different for everyone, like you said, because everyone has a different definition of what appeals to them. Exactly, yeah. And and with the the 20 out of the 20 boxes, um, you know, ticking even nine or 18 or 19 of those 20 boxes or eight out of 10 or whatever it is, that's why you notice in areas, there's always the median priced property and generally those properties are very similar. They're on similar land sizes, they're similar internal square meterages, an apartment or not. They're on you know, similar streets, like they're all very similar in nature. 
and, and the price is very, very little. And then you've got those properties that just stand out. You know, if the median house price in an area is like 800 grand, then you've got some properties selling at 1.1, 1.2, you know, that's essentially a 50% premium on the average. Sure, even higher, obviously. Exactly, and, that, and, and, and generally the reason for that is because they have things that the others don't have. They have all of the basic things that you need, then they have those extra one, two, three, four, or five, you know, different things that owner occupiers pay a premium for, and whether that is larger land size, whether that is uh, a better floor plan, whether that is a better pocket of the suburb, yeah. a better street, a better view, you know, a better aspect, better sunlight, all of these things that you know are hard to replicate, and only there's only a handful of these properties in every suburb that have all of these features. Um, and obviously people pay a premium That's for right. that. And, and I mean, you know, you talk, we always talk about the, the north facing rear garden, um, you know, and that, that assumes that the floor plan of that house is at, the, is at the rear of the property. But if you think of, you know, a street that has, you know, one side of the street is gonna be north facing rear, then obviously the other side of the street is gonna be south facing rear. So straight away, 50% of that street is, is gone, doesn't tick the box, That's right. you know, when, we, when we're talking about, you know, northerly aspects, so to speak. Yeah, exactly, and that's the same with apartments, you generally want to be facing north, and that's because obviously the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, so you want to try and let as much sunlight into the property all day as you possibly can, and what you were saying with the floor plans is so true, a lot of the older houses are not built like they are right now with the floor that's plans. That's right, the, the living area is at the front. Exactly, so now everyone wants to live generally at the rear of the property where all the sunlight is, it's open plan, it's out under the alfresco, or the or the, uh, the yard and, and, and that's how families live, the, the older properties and the established properties, which is what we buy and not usually like that. Um, and another reason I guess we want to appeal to that owner-occupier demographic is because the owner-occupiers are always looking to progress. You know, like I know very, very few people who buy a first house and are happy to live there. You know, that's right, after. yeah. You know, owner-occupiers are always looking to, to buy a home, get some growth. The family's changed, you know, yeah. they, they might have bought their first property with, with no children or one child. Next minute they've got two, three, possibly four children and they've outgrown the house so they need to upgrade to a, to a larger house. Exactly, or a larger apartment or, or a larger anything, they need more space. And, um, you know, by doing that, like we said, there's always someone transacting because of that. When, when the economy changes, look, some people are doing bad, but then some people are doing really, really well. You know, you look at COVID, for example, and there were some people really struggling, businesses were shut down, jobs were, were cut, but on the polar opposite to that was people that were doing exceptionally well, you know, their business is skyrocketing. Created new opportunities for others, didn't it? So when some are selling, some are buying, and you know, again, when people sell with these owner-occupier um, properties, all these properties that uh, appeal to the owner-occupied demographic, very rarely are they selling for less than what they paid for. No, that's right. And, and, and that, that is what's you know, super important. Um, and, and one of the biggest reasons is they buy with emotion. They don't, they do not buy with their heads like, like we said at the start. Um, when people buy with their heads, there becomes a point in time when the deal just doesn't make sense. You know, the yields get too slim or they don't see the growth in the marketplace or whatever it is. Investors always have a reason to look elsewhere. That's right. <clears throat> Where owner-occupiers, you know, the, 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 the incremental change, say, you know, by spending 1 million or 1.1 on a property, doesn't really matter a great deal to them. Because no, and an owner-occupier is gonna be there for the next 15 to 20 years, you know, usually that's the, the plan. Exactly, so the extra 100 or 50 or 200 or whatever it is, it's, it's material it's, over the long term, It's isn't a it? small amount of money. And then another reason that you wanna be in a pocket which is dominated by owner-occupiers, again, is because owner-occupiers, generally speaking, are a lot more house-proud than, say, renters. You know, they own the home, they want to keep it tidy, they want to make sure their gardens look good, um, you know, they want to make sure they're renovated, all of these things, which if you're owning a property in a pocket of a suburb or a suburb that's dominated by owner-occupiers, not investors, that means by people doing work to their property and then selling, 
that brings the value of your Well, they're down. continually improving it, aren't they? And exactly. therefore, the, the manufacturing um, growth via those uh, renovations and house improvements. Yeah, and because we obviously have a strategy of buy and ideally never sell unless there's a better opportunity or you've got some opportunity cost in doing so, um, every time an owner-occupier sells with a similar property to yours, that then you know sets the precedence for the next one and the next one and the next one. And, and when a bank comes to value your property for you to be able to release, release equity, um, you know, they look at all those comparable sales and they go, well, if these five sales sold for this, your property's got to be worth X. And, and, and that's exactly what you want. That's right. Um, and I guess probably one of the last reasons, there's a million more we can talk about, but one, one of the biggest uh, last reasons is that owner occupiers also stay for longer, right? Which usually means that the, the, the pockets of suburbs where they're dominated by owner-occupiers are generally... Tightly held. Yeah, and they don't trade a great deal, mm, right? That's right, yeah. So, you know, when things are not trading, that means if there's a lot of demand for those properties, every time they come up, they usually sell very, very well. That's right, yeah. That, that, and that brings us, you know, to the, you know, what, what I love harping on, which is, you know, why do prices rise? Well, because demand is exceeding supply. Um, you know, and hence we look at those locations where they're not creating, you know, they always say they're not building any more land, mm. you know, and they're not building, there's, you know, very little new supply coming to the market in, um, you know, in those prime blue chip locations that we like to look at for investment purposes. Yeah, there is no more land. And, and unless they do something like they did in Dubai where they build land out on the ocean, <laughs> then, then there's not going to be any anymore. And obviously that's how urban sprawl happens. Um, and that sort of touches on, on the next point that is, you know, we can't really list out 20 things that you must have as an owner-occupier in a property because every single area is different, right? The owner-occupier demographic in each area wants different things in a property. That's right. Well, a, a pool is a, is a fine example. Some owner-occupiers won't buy a property unless it has a pool and mm. others, you know, if it has a pool, they won't buy it because they just don't want that. It doesn't suit their lifestyle. Um, you know, so people, and that's why some people say pools don't add value to your property. If you want to put one in, you do that because it's it's going to you're going to benefit from a lifestyle reason, and it might not necessarily add value to your property because the next person might not want it. Exactly, exactly right. And, and obviously, what an owner occupier wants in their their house in Brisbane is probably not the same as Sydney, probably not the same as Melbourne. Right? We're all very different climates. It's different lifestyles. So you can't just list and say, well, if your property's got all of these things, that's right. Then you yeah. just pick that up and change it anywhere, and it's all <laughs> going to be the same. I think there is some fundamentals that are the same. Things like level land. Obviously, no one wants a steeping block, or very few people want steep that's blocks. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, level land, um, the larger the parcel of land in a suburb, generally speaking. Yeah, well, larger, larger, but not too large. Um, you know, some people might not want a 2,000 square metre block. Now, I, we know here in the suburbs that that's, uh, you know, very rare, if, if probably impossible. But, yeah. you know, some people want a low maintenance block, so they don't want, uh, you know, 800 square metres. They're quite happy with four to 500 square metres. Um, again, you know, it, it's different horses for different courses if you like exactly yeah and, and it's usable land right you go to places right. like Tarawara and Pimble and, and there's a lot of those two and a half three thousand square meter blocks there's yeah. 500 square meters of it that are usable and two and a half thousand right. but you can pick a you know sort of say okay well that five to six hundred square meter range is one that's going to probably suit the masses yeah. you know it's not too big it's not too small you know. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really about understanding what they want in that particular area. And, and the easiest way to, to understand that is, is looking at, you know, everything that's selling, you know, you look at what's sold on a 12 month basis or a six month basis. Um, you know, you look at all the properties that have sold in very, very similar price brackets, it's always around the median, you know, you might have a range of say 800 to a million, which is where the majority of houses or apartments sell in, in a particular area. Um, and then you just list what the common features are, you know, the common floor plans, the common bedrooms, bathrooms, parking, you know, the streets that they're on, the, the land sizes, 
like we said, level land or not level land, um, you know, what their houses are built out. If you talk somewhere like Newcastle, for example, a lot of the suburbs in Newcastle weatherboard constructed weatherboard, homes. Yeah. You put a weatherboard construction home in, you know, Sydney, for example, and it's probably not liked as much because mm. people want brick construction because that's what the majority like. They call the weatherboard homes cottages here and they usually yeah. roll them over and, <laughs> you know, and, and then rebuild them. Same in Queensland, you've got things like the Queenslanders, right? I don't know if that would work in Sydney. So, um, the, the, they're all sort of the things that you, you need to look at. And obviously, once you've seen what the, the median house price property in the area, what all the, the common features are, you then look at the outliers. So what are the things that, you know, the houses that might sell 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% over the, the median, what do they have that the other properties don't have? Yeah. You, know, and you usually find it's common things like views, like bigger, bigger land or bigger internal size, closer to amenity, you know, closer to the beach, closer to the shopping centre, closer to whatever it is in that suburb that people like. Um, and, and then when you, you're setting your criteria to go out there and buy your property or your investment property, you want to try and tick as many of the fundamental boxes as possible. So as many of the boxes that most people in the suburb want. And then as really as many as those other, other boxes, those other boxes make your property scarce, like we've spoken about, as many as those as you possibly can as well within your budget constraints, of right? Course, yeah. um, you know, people talk about buying around the median house price because that's what the majority of the, the demographic can afford. Um, so you still don't want to be, you know, the median for mill, you don't want to be buying something worth 1.8 or 1.9 because, again, you have a smaller portion of people that can afford that. And you, you see that the pole opposite in Sydney when you've got different price point, obviously, if you say the median house price in Vaucluse might be 8 or 9 million and then you've got your trophy homes that are, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. And yeah. at the moment, they're trading really, really well because the economy's <laughs> great and everyone's, you know, splashing money around. Um, but when things get a little bit more volatile... Um, they're the kind of properties you see that really, really drag out the days on market sure, because yeah. um, you know it is so volatile. People are unsure, and, and there's a very, very small percentage of buyers in that area that can afford those properties. That's where right, yeah. the medium properties still trade constantly because there's a lot of people that can afford them. Yeah, mate. Um, and I really think like it's 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 not that complicated. It's pretty straightforward. I think people you know overlook it a lot of the times. They get sucked into buying stock that's marketed to investors because they think, oh well. You know, guaranteed rent return yeah. or, you know. Or just based on price and buying something well under the median. I mean, you, you talk about buying something that's, you know, too far above the median, you know, buying something well below the median, there's a reason why they're trading well below the median and, and it's exactly. the polar opposite. That's they don't have a lot of the owner-occupier appeal factors. Yeah, um, people and that's think why, they're cheap. They go, oh, how cheap's this? That's but, right. You know, as, as I definitely say, it's cheap for a reason. You know? That's right, yeah. And the capital growth just won't be as good as those that are at the median or above. Exactly. And we know 80% 80, 80 of the, the heavy lifting of a, of a property is done by, by the location, but that extra 20% can mean hundreds of thousands of millions, millions of dollars, of dollars yeah. um, over the long term. So, mate, I think a uh, short and sweet episode that, that, that really <laughs> breaks down um, that owner-occupier fundamental and, and I think the takeaways for people is when you're looking at property in an area like we said work out what the owner occupiers want look at what the majority of the properties have what are the common features try and get a few things that not a lot of them have and that people pay a premium for and um, I think you're in the right location you've got the owner occupier appeal you, you got to get a property yeah, that's going to perform over the long term no totally correct Jack and I think it's important and I know when I first started my 
um, investing journey at 19 years old, the first thing, and I didn't know a lot, you know, we're talking in the very early 90s, not a lot of information around myself, you know, not a lot of experience at all. Um, the first thing I did when I walked into this little two bedroom apartment was just looked around and said, could I live here if I was going to live in here? Mm. Um, I never was going to because I was always going to lease it out. But the first thing I just asked myself is I looked at it through owner occupier eyes. Could I live in this? The answer, you know, I looked at all those aspects, thought, yeah, I could live in this, which meant that if I could live in it, so could others would come in and say, yeah, I could live in this too, and it will always be leased, which it always was for the next 10 or so years that I, that I held it. So it's always good, even though you're an investor, to walk into a place and go, well, you know, could I live in this? And, you know, as in, if this was going to be the place that I was going to live in, what are the things I'm looking for? And if it ticks a lot of those boxes, then it's usually a good one. Exactly, yeah, 100%. I think, you know, if you're of a good demographic, you walk into a home and you like it, Thank you.